Welcome to Bold Becoming Identity Retooled. This podcast is where we explore the landscape of the immensity of landmines that exist for people who've lost their sense of identity, who've been shaken to the core, and are relearning who they are now that a part of them is lost. It's stories of how people manage this struggle, regain their footing, and the gifts they've discovered along the way. Thanks for tuning in. And hey, be sure to leave a review to help others find this podcast. Hi, Lena. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I am so excited to have you too. Today we have Lena Sepula, right? Yes. A wonderful Ukrainian woman living in Canada for 15 years. A little bit more than that, yes. I am um, actually Russian from Ukraine. It's a little bit complicated. Now I'm Canadian from Ukraine with Russian background, but that's the mouthful. <laughs> so before you were Russian from Ukraine. Yes, correct. Interesting. And yes. Well, that we're part of the world has a lot we could talk about, but I am certainly not qualified. And so I would I would butcher anything on that. What I am qualified to talk about is your story. And Lena has, so trigger alert, this is, this is a tough story about um, addiction, sex trafficking, rape, and there might be more to it than that, but that's enough to start with. And so I'm so happy you survived. So many people, those circumstances, in so many different directions, you can end up dead. So thank God you're here. You made it. You're alive and well. And you are sharing your message with the world because people need to know about it. So let's get into hearing your story. And I'm going to interrupt you here and there, probably more than I should, but because what I'm looking at is the story as it told from the perspective of identity loss and then, re and then regaining a new identity. So you can start wherever you would like. Yes, thank you so much, Juliet. Well, first of all, I would never have imagined that after 20 years of silence, this is what I would be doing publicly. Um, standing on stage in front of hundreds of people and that my story will be broadcasted all over social media because uh, in the past I was afraid of judgment and rejection and I thought it was the story of guilt, shame and condemnation but now I know it's God's story of salvation. So I, I was born and raised in Ukraine and my parents so so hold on so you kept this quiet for 20 years so you escaped that life that you were in and for 20 years you didn't talk about it absolutely because um with anybody or just not publicly with anybody at all oh, how did yeah. you heal um i actually right before our wedding uh, when my husband proposed to me I wrote him six page letter because I want him to choose to marry me or to walk away because I want to build our relationships on trust. Mm -hmm. And um, he didn't read that letter. He said, wherever your past is between you and God, and I love you for who you are now. And yeah, he said, pray about it, rip it up, burn it. I don't care. So I didn't tell even to him my story until the book, um, I wrote the book almost like when the book got published. I asked him if he want to know the story from me or he want to read that book. So that's when for the first time he heard my story and he said two things happen. You healed and this book has a purpose. But I do believe not the, only the book, but the fact that I'm speaking out has a purpose as well. Because... Totally. <clears throat> Because my message right now and my path and my purpose actually to encourage, inspire, and to give hope and tell people that there's the chance to have 
love, joy, and peace and wholeness again after everything you've seen and done. So <clears throat> I tell you a little bit backstory so you would understand. My parents um, struggle in their marriage and they become the alcoholics mm. and um, they lost well-paid jobs. And mm. of course, unrest in the country didn't help as well. And um, our, at our home government, thrown out electricity and hot water for outstanding bills. Mm. And I was hungry all the time. I was literally starving. Mm. And my home like was infested with black mold, cockroaches and mice. And we struggle in poverty, trying to survive. And do you have siblings? Yes, I do. I have a um, younger sister and brother. And um, so you're the, you're the oldest. So you, in those kind of addiction families, a lot of times the, the kid is gets parentified to take care of things. Did that yes, happen absolutely. to you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, for a very long time, I felt like my childhood was stolen from me. Identity um, loss, number one. Yes, yes, absolutely. And um, I was raised in a home of, full of strangers who brought booze and drugs with parents who did nothing to protect me. So, of course, I became an easy target for those guys. And I was drugged and raped in the basement of my apartment numerous times. Thanks God, I keep thinking about that. that Thanks God that my siblings avoided all this travesty. I'm honestly, I cannot even imagine if they would gotten it under this um, pressure as well. But there is the backstory to that as well. So this was in the apartment where you lived with your parents. Correct. You would be drugged and raped by various people. Correct. And I remember from, like one from time. Starting at what age? Um, I was somewhere like between 13 and 14. And uh, I remember my father was so drunk and uh, they literally like the gang like broke the door and dragged me from my own home. And my father said, just take her as long as you don't bother me. And, oh, yeah, oh, oh. and I saw him and I heard him and I literally hated him like through all of my life. I thought he was weak. I thought he was really broken, useless uh, piece of waste of space because who in the right mind allowed like this to go on anyway, but there is... Um, but you, it, and you heard him say those words oh yeah I heard him and I saw him like sitting on that armchair like so drunk and he just totally dismissed they they like forced uh use force and violence on me and he just totally dismissed as long as it doesn't bother me and it just broke my heart yeah yeah complete betrayal oh hundred and 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 that kind of thing can actually be worse than the sexual violence itself. Yes, I I always thought like, what kind of parent you have to be to actually totally ignore this? I don't understand what kind of human being you can be. If somebody would drag by the hair 13 year old in my presence, I would go into fight right now because I have children, I'm a mom and I'm like healthy human being. But that's, I think that's where this, line is they were not healthy they were no not obviously not. they were they were not processing everything if if he was um in better mindset mindset and state of mind in general and he would understand that this is not okay so yes so a lot of a lot of kids with sexual abuse incest and and abuse by other people they never tell their parents, but you didn't have that problem because your parents knew about it. Absolutely. Not only parents, parents, police, neighbors, like they, there was no, and that's what mind blowing how, how in the face it was, but how normal it was because the country was like really destroyed by what was going on and morals were down. Nobody. Yeah. It's, it was a very difficult time to leave. And so 
If this was happening to you and the police and the neighbors and parents all knew about it, how many other people was it happening to? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There, I'm looking, I'm trying to translate this Russian word. Uh, maybe chaos. Chaos would be like the best description of my my city. It was like drugs, chaos. alcohol. Yeah. Chaos. So the drugs, alcohol, rape, theft, um, abuse, physical, mental, that was the time, time and the place that I was living my teenage years. And what years were those? Uh, well, Ukraine separated with Russia in 91, I believe. So exactly where all the hell break loose, I was 11. And and that's what happened. Yeah, it's probably took them another 10, 15 years to get some kind of bearing in a country, you know, so it it was very tough. Mm. So so independence wasn't necessarily a really great thing, at least how it the process of becoming independent. Yeah, I usually compare it to divorce, you know, especially like when the family look like it was a good family and good fit for a very long time and I remember like I was 11 years old I do remember how it was and it was fine and my parents had jobs and we had vacation and like everything seems okay and then and marriage of my parents didn't last because they actually were suppressing the problems that was inside and then Ukraine decided to be independent and it's like literally like divorce and sharing the children rips everything apart everything falling apart and oh, so the parents you know, were divorced so they you went, were they you went were between trying, households no it was the same household but they actually they got divorced when i was two years old then they got together again and they like suffer for another like 10 years and then when the hell broke loose they finally divorced when i was 15 and never got back together again but that that was hell too yeah so and and so the alcoholism was it there before you were 11 because it sounds like you had a pretty normal life was yeah i was like yeah i actually had a pretty normal life and that's what i keep anchoring because people will keep asking how did you got through it how did you got through it and literally you know how people say until you six years old you like a sponge you create it like and it was like the best time of my life my grandparents loved me we went on vacation they everything seems like so normal and um, I was curious I was excited kid you know like I felt like I got almost like really good beginning mm -hmm. of my life and I was achieving my dreams I was high end um a student so I want to be a police officer I like the uniform and all this stuff and then it was like it was a huge disaster but it um, shows you how parents actually hide the problems from the kids because it's been rotting there for a long time mm -hmm. and you you did just describe probably the main reason why you're still alive is that those foundational years, you had pretty much a lot of what you needed. And, and so then you had that to fall back on when your life fell apart. Absolutely. And the craziest part, I don't know, guys, if you're struggling with the past or whatever you're going through, I am like past 40 years old. And just last year, I finally feel like myself. I feel like I feel like that kid again with the mm. passion and excitement and and like oh I found God. myself again. But it took oh me God. like from from that, I don't know, 13 year old to 40 year old. That's how long it took me through the mess, through the hell. And probably last 15 years I'm re in recovery. So I've been clean for 15 years and I have healthy children as well, but I still go through therapy and counseling to deal with all the PTSDs, but I'm using more constructive um, uh, approaches and coping mechanisms than before. 
because in the craziest way, drugs just allowed me to not to kill myself. But right. because right. Yeah, to cope with everything. And I use hardcore drugs too. I I drunk, I use heroin, I, I use like any drugs that is was available. I was a drug addict. Yeah. Um, have you seen the movie The Wisdom of Trauma with Gabor Mate? Oh, no. I well, he he he's he talks about and he he interviews people. He's a, he's a drug, um, he's an addiction specialist and a trauma specialist. And basically he asks people, what good did you get from using the drugs? Because there's, there's this perception that everything about drugs is bad, but every single one of them had a reason how these drugs helped them. Just like you said, they, it kept you alive. Well, it's numbing your brain i think like this most of it what i was looking to like for it's to be checked out because my brain tormented me with this why me why this is happening to me is there is more for to this life and then another thing that happened like when i thought the things couldn't get any worse one month before my 15th birthday i woke up with the severe abdominal pain and I was scared and confused only to realize that I'm in labor and I didn't know I was pregnant and I didn't know who her father was because I was raped so many times. So my baby girl died three months later from health complications. But um, before I actually leave her, I have to leave her in the hospital because I wouldn't be able to care for her, but I had to give her my last name, like, and refuse my parental rights. So actually the act of giving up that child, like really broke my heart because now I thought I'm just like my parents. I'm exactly like my parents. I'm neglectful. Like how, how I didn't know now her life is on my conscience, her death. And then this thoughts, like I, I killed this baby, like why, why this is happening. And literally I just looking for escape because I couldn't deal with my, this anxiety, constant, like fears and panic attack and stress and being tense and couldn't sleep, couldn't eat. That is terrifying how the brain literally broke body down. And that's what I was looking for, that relief just to be like knocked out by drugs or booze to the point that like 12 hours gone of my life and okay. And now I wake up and I have a purpose, find money, find drugs, find booze. And it's like, was so simple. So you don't need to think about anything. You don't have to think about leaving. You just need to like, just wake up. But in some points, like I didn't even know I gonna wake up. So I don't think like I was fighting against that either because I was, I don't know what's the point to live this life anyway. So, yeah. Did you ever try to suicide? You know what? This is very interesting. I thought about this many times. I never wanted to die by killing myself, but mm -hmm. I had many moments when I didn't want to live either. So mm -hmm. I kind of like, oh, if I overdose, it's okay. Oh, if this happened, it's okay. So I kind of like almost surrender to the, the flow. But now because um, I gave my life to Christ in 2011, and I do believe that his grace saved me all those times, million times over, I could be dead. Like that, I don't know, roadkill. Every time I see roadkill, like I kid you not, I'm thinking that could be me. And nobody would even look for me nobody would care i would be there until like i'm i don't know rotting nobody would even come to bury me that's that's how that was my life yeah yeah so when so you were a little girl and then and then those rapes started to happen and describe how your identity changed and your parents not only it's not that they didn't know about it. They knew about it and they didn't care. They actually allowed it. So can you just go into more detail 
how your your pretty normal, wonderful life, and you you feeling you know like a regular person that has a future, has ambition, wanted to be a police officer, and then when that abuse started happening, you were already parentified in an alcoholic family. Um, but from, from that position to then these multiple rapes and did they beat you and stuff too? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think first of all, how I recall it happened fast. I remember this was good, good, good. And then it's like everything. It was like, I don't know, tornado, you know, it was so unexpected for me but later on I, I find out that it was bad all like like all the time except then it just kind of boiled to the surface but um I do remember being 100% like a parent to the kids I have to stop going to school because I need to find the food for the kids and and I felt like I honestly, for some reason now I'm thinking, I felt like I was like 28, not like 15 or mm -hmm. not 13. And I felt very old and I felt very, um, I don't know, like lost to, you know, thinking like, how can I provide for these kids? You know, with the, with the rape, it's, I don't know, it's almost like my brain went in like, overdrive and in defense mode almost I'm like okay nothing I can do about this I just have to get through it nothing I can do about it because nobody come to help because nobody there wasn't anything, anything you could do about it exactly so like I was I was you, did, you not... didn't even have any place to run away to because the police weren't exactly. even going to help you I could I there was no place for me to run so I felt like really like overwhelmed you know with the fact that this is my life and I think that was the worst thing that my brain was like telling me that it's my fault you know everything is my fault this is like you this is this and this is that because you cannot like protect yourself or you cannot do this like anyway so it's so funny you, so you know what that's called that's called internalizing the oppression mm where we can't be right, we can't defend ourselves. And the only way to make sense of it so we don't actually literally lose our mind, go crazy, is we, we start to think that this is actually, we're the bad person. And, and so we internalize the oppression and then start becoming our own bully, yeah. beating ourselves up with, you know with our thoughts. Funny? That's good that you say bully because when those thoughts come in, I start fighting against this because I'm like try to figure out what is all life about, and I became bully. And honestly, that's what actually would change, you know, because I was like, okay, I gonna take the mattress into my hands uh, with school, especially because I was like Dory stinky, and the people like were like kids were cruel to me, you know, because you were what um, thinking no stinky like you know when you don't oh, you, were, you were stinking yeah so the kids were cruel to me so except mm -hmm. on like being feel that pity because I hate it I hate it that I feel this way I hate it that my brain is hunting me with those like um limitation and making like everything all about me and I had to I have to deal with this whatever I knew so I become very angry and honestly anger was following me like past my um all my addictions all like when even like when I met my husband as well anger was like one of those coping mechanisms as well to to make me feel like I'm in control and it's literally came from the feeling like um worthless hopeless and broken that's why I tell my kids the bullies doesn't born the bullies are made and oh, yeah. usually it's our self-defense to impose the control because you are so out of control everywhere else or we cannot control really anything that we're in so this is interesting because your mind had taken over and started bullying you and at the same time you still knew 
it was wrong, but at the same time, it just was all confusing because you had these two totally conflicting messages going on in your head. And, and one of them was the truth. And one of them seemed so true that you couldn't tell that it wasn't the truth. Is, does that kind of describe what was going on? Well, I think what happened that time, I actually felt like a victim. Like when my brain started attacking me and it felt like suffocating. And I think becoming bully and come out through the anger, it still have kind of release. And now I'm thinking through all this stuff that happened to me, my mindset was like, I'm not a victim. I'm not a victim. I'm not a victim. But now even like last months in therapy, it's come out like you still talk like a victim, you are a victim, and it's okay to face the fact that you're a victim. But um, it's very interesting how does it like it work this way, because I'm like, I have to admit right now that I'm a victim, and I was a victim. But in those times, I couldn't because if I would admit that I'm victim, I would not come out, I would not come out from it, I would just like roll over and die because it was so hard and on my body, on my mind and on my soul. But now when I'm stable in my mind, body and soul, I can admit that I'm a victim and it's okay. And I can have compassion on myself rather than um, just, I don't know, surrender, I guess. Mm -hmm. Now, when I worked for a short time in a battered women's shelter, I learned to use the word survivor instead of a victim. The victims were the ones who were dead. Mm. The survivors were the ones who were in that shelter getting away to not get dead. Yeah, but that time when I was a victim, I could be dead. So I wasn't like, I, I wasn't coming out from it. So, and Okay, hold on. So I just wanna point this out because for me, this is very empowering. And I don't wanna say you're wrong or your therapist is wrong, but I just wanna point out that you were definitely being victimized mm. and you survived your victimization. And that's a good one, good way to, to put that together. Yeah, I know. I don't know. Even like right now, I'm fight against the fact that the the victim part, like you know, doesn't fit me. You know, because I never, yeah. no, never surrender I, to that. So that is right. really good phrase that you say. I was victimized and I survived. Because yeah. it took me a long time actually too to embrace word survivor. I was always well, yeah. like, yeah, I was always thinking yeah. like, you know, a survivor is somebody who went through the war or something like that. Who am I a survivor? And when I first time told multiple story, rapes and, and I would, I would call that kidnapping because kidnapping is yeah. taking somebody against their will. Yeah. I would call that surviving war. Oh, you know what? It's interesting. I actually, when I first time share my story and my friend called me survivor, I was like, no, that's kind of strange. It doesn't suit me. So I Google, I Google that word and it says, uh, if person survive or like overcome something that many people died, I'm like, oh yeah, I am survivor because I have so many people died all over. Like people were dying like flies around me. So I'm like, oh, okay, now I understand. Yeah. They were dying like flies because of drug overdoses yeah, or because from, of sexual assault from drug from drug overdoses from sexual assault my friend got shot in the, like in the face in the alley like it's it was like chaos yeah that was crazy yeah and when i was traffic too there's the girl yeah so tell, tell us about that trafficking well, so um, after my baby died, I was on heroin for around like three years. So I don't really recall anything about that, except that one day I had this awakening, almost like awareness that I was so tired of this lifestyle and I wanted to change, you know, but there is no hopes and dreams for a junkie. And then through mutual friend, I met this lady and she was 
um she was like rich and uh, like she was like wealthy and she was kind and she made me feel so safe and and comfortable she invited me to her house and offered me um fancy coffee and sweets and I was so impressed that somebody cared and oh she was grooming you yeah and it felt like wonderful and safe because like nobody for last three years like wouldn't even like pay attention and she she um, said to me that she would be able to find me a job no specific just a job and without much thought I accepted eager to escape because I thought is opportunity I'm like oh my gosh somebody cares so her team went to work and then still on heavy drugs because I'm still was a drug addict I vaguely remember I report and how I went through customs. I'll never know. I just one day woke up hearing Muslim call to prayer. Allah, Akbar, run out. So I was confused and terrified. Wait, you woke up, you woke up where? I, I woke up in a foreign country. So yeah, nice lady sold me into human trafficking. Yeah. You were 15 or you're 18? I was 18. I just I just turned 18 uh probably three months before I was trafficked. And um and I was thinking like when you were talking about kidnapping, and that's what I'm advocating right now for because sometimes we think kidnapping is using force or violence. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize I went through customs, you know. But that's what I'm telling people. If you see a girl who doesn't have her own passport, when somebody's speaking for, for her, it's a, it's a red flag, you know, why she cannot answer her own questions and stuff like that. Because um, submissive, being submissive and just um, go through it, it's one of the red flags for human trafficking. So that was happened to me. I woke up in Cairo, Egypt. Yesterday, it was the winter and Christmas in my in my home and I woke up in the summer day. So that's definitely was mind blowing. And um, um, from from there, they actually brought us in um, in the middle of the um, desert and they forced us to cross the border illegally into uh, Israel, and then they sold me into brothel in Israel. So you stayed in Israel in a brothel? Yeah, for almost two years. What did that do to your identity? Were you still a drug addict then? Were they supplying you with your fixes? Well, actually, I I got through withdrawals in, um, in Egypt because there was no more drugs, and I actually... Um, come out from from my drugs there so it was very interesting because some people like well some many people don't quit drugs because they your body can uh, break down and you die so I actually quit like heroin twice by my well by myself now I'm saying by myself the body recovered but God had a purpose for me that's why he didn't allow me to die and definitely what was interesting, though, that um, it was the horrible situation. Lots of women, like who came with me, women, they were all girls. Um, they they went missing and never never seen again. So that's definitely was one of the survivor moments. But I got kind of um, I say lucky because once in a million. You end up in the family business. So I actually had a bodyguard and nobody could rape me or beat me to death. And he actually shared the gospel with me, the good news of God. Wait, wait, you had a bodyguard in the brothel? Yeah, I have a bodyguard in the brothel because uh, so, so nobody could actually like abuse me and physically. And that's another thing. Sometimes people thinking like, you know, how how did you survive that? But honestly, after streets of Ukraine, it was the almost upgrade for me because I was 
I was clean, I was fed, and I make money. You know, that's what like all you you made money, but you were still trapped. Oh yeah, I was like hundred percent. I was a slave, and that's another thing. Again, go to that victim mentality that I didn't want to surrender to the fact that I am a prisoner because it haunted me for a very long time. The fact that I've been sold, I was bought like as a human being, it's, it does a number on your psyche. And, um, and I was prisoner. Yeah. I could not, I was not free. Yeah. So this is, this is also where I am a little particular with languaging Mm. this whole word, sex trafficking to me, that's, that's like, that's skirting the issue. To me, it's, I call it sexual slavery. Yes. I mean, I mean uh, why not call it slavery? That's what, that's what actually, like, name of my um, signature talk right now, my journey from hell to heaven and modern day slavery, because it is the slavery and it's buying and selling um, people and everybody thought like, oh, it's already of the past. No, it's happening right here, right now. And um, like, and the biggest uh, probably um, industry that honestly illegal industry that make the most money right now. And, but by the grace of God, honestly, five years ago, nobody even talked about human trafficking or mental health the way we're talking now. I'm so grateful that we have that Me Too movement because that's where it's literally, um, it's, it didn't inspire me to share my story because that's another story, but I got into that wave because I didn't feel like I'm alone anymore. Because when I decided to share my story and wrote my book and, and start speaking out, there was so many other voices coming out um, and the celebrity and um and in different, like, and all the social media start talking about human trafficking. So I'm so grateful that now we actually um, facing the issues, like, uh, and we are opening creating, eyes. Yes, and creating awareness, you know, because some people don't even understand that um, somebody can be trafficked right into in, in the na- neighborhood. Everybody thinks that, oh, it's Ukraine, oh, it's Cambodia, oh, it's Africa. Let me let me interrupt for a, 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 a educational commercial. So this this program is about identity loss, and I am going to take this opportunity to educate everybody listening. A couple of years ago, well, 2019. I went to Nepal with my 92 year old dad. We just went for a jaunt. And I went to this place called Mighty Nepal. And there's this lady, oh God, I can't remember her name, but she is considered the Mother Teresa of Nepal. And Mighty Nepal helps um, rescue sex trafficked women and girls. And they have 40 thousand nepal is a country about this big Forty thousand girls being kidnapped and trafficked out of the country every year so so i was like whoa and then a couple years ago and then after that right here in kansas city i went to a fundraiser for the largest um rehabilitation house in the United States for women who are have gotten out of sexual slavery. I'm not going to call it sex trafficked. They've gotten out of sexual slavery and they're reintegrating in society. And so at that fundraiser, this guy gave a speech and my memory's not great, but this is what I, I know the number 80,000 is correct. What that multiplies to in millions, I forget, but in the United States, there's X million people being in, in, in um, sexual slavery. 50% of them are underage, are minors. Almost 100% of them are people from the United States. They're not um, foreigners. And if you distributed that X um million 
into all 52 states, they're not distributed equally, but if you did, every single state would have 80,000 80, girls and boys in sexual slavery. That was like two years ago, right, be, right before COVID hit, I went to that thing. So this thing of it, it, these people, they are among us. So that's, 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 that's in my commercial, <laughs> commercial break. Yeah, absolutely. That's really good that you said that because sometimes we think like it, it's somewhere else, but it's good to know that it's here. And um, I like to point out that as well, that human trafficking can happen to anyone. And, um, but some people absolutely more vulnerable than right. others and significant risk factors um, includes dysfunctional families or substance abuse or mental health concerns. And guess what? We have all of those like in almost every family, one of one of another for sure. And Another thing that um, we always think that um, traffickers like use force and uh, um, they prey on victims that they don't know. And actually most of the time involved family and friends. How sick is that? And you mentioned it's actually not only women and girls, but men and boys are also yeah. victimized. So we yeah. have to be vigilant. Some people, sorry. No, go uh, ahead. Oh, I just want to say that some people being held against their will, but some are afraid for their safety and most and most being manipulated and controlled with fear, isolation, guilt, and shame. Yeah. It's it's a pandemic. And and um, so for my license in clinical social work, I used to go to these uh, trainings and stuff. And I went to this one about pedophiles, probably, I don't know, a long time ago. And so it was, it wasn't, we weren't talking about sex trafficking back then. This was like 20 years ago. It was more about incest type of stuff, in incest and other forms of child sexual abuse. And basically for er er the thing about these men, because they're not all men, there are some women who sexually abuse kids, but vast majority are men. The, the people who abuse children, sexually abuse children, they don't just do it to one person. They do it to multiple people, kids. And the thing about it is, is that a certain percentage of these kids are gonna grow up and do it themselves because that's just the way the, the, the brain works. It, it, it just, things really strange happen in our brain. So, you know, we didn't like it happening, but then we end up going and doing it. Just like domestic violence. It's a chain of violence, of generational violence. You didn't like it, your dad hitting your mom, but then you grow up and you hit your wife. It just, it's just like, so what's, what I'm trying to point out real quick is that the number of people who are being sexually abused today is this many. The number that are being sexually abused next year is exponentially larger because it's the numbers are growing exponentially because, because a certain number of the people being abused become abusers. And so it is a, it is a, public health crisis that is only barely um, the tip of the iceberg is being addressed. And Absolutely. so this, but this, at this least work we're talking doing, about this now. You're talking about it. Um, now I wanna get back to, I am curious who these people were in Israel who went to these brothels. Is this just like something that that everybody did or, or who are these men? Are these oh, I men? think like, like everywhere else, like it's hard to pinpoint who is this man and just probably all the men who was unhappy with the marriage or was not happy with the 
situation. Sometimes it's the arranged marriage because I do believe that the people who make money from me, that's the sick machine. But most of the people who end up in the brothel, they're just same broken, same broken people who needs to be uh, loved and heard and um, I don't know, cared for because we are so emotionally and physically sometimes falling apart. So that is definitely was very interesting um, distinction because when I was raped in Ukraine, that was the violence and it was like sick. And it was, um, um, it, it was terrible. But in the brothel, like honestly, some of the times I just had a conversation because somebody need to be listening, you know, mm -hmm. and it was very, very interesting that as well. But um, I, I want to put in another thing is that I worked a second job as a medical social worker in the emergency room on the sexual assault response team. So I was on call and because my regular job didn't pay enough. Anyway, let's not even go into, let's not go into that. <laughs> and so part of my job, so the, the person, mostly women, came to the emergency room and sometimes they were injured, sometimes they weren't, but they were there then to get forensic evidence collection mm -hmm. to try to like, you know, prove who the person was that, that raped her. I'm going to use the word her because almost always it was women. There were some men, but 98% of the ones that I helped were women. And so, but before the, we would do the evidence collection, you know, collecting the sperm and any like hairs and stuff like that, that belonged to somebody else. Then the police had to sign off that they thought a crime had been committed. And so, so in order for the police to sign off saying they think a crime was committed, they would interrogate the woman. And so my job was to be with her throughout the whole process. And so part of the process was sitting there listening to the police hear the story. And they wanted every last detail of what happened. And there was some gruesome, gruesome, twisted stuff. And some of it by people that they knew, you know. And what I realized is that something very terrible had to have happened to these men to do these things. You, you're not a ba a baby is not born with those kind of tendencies. Now I'm maybe you know like psychopaths. Maybe there are some people that are just born with the wires really go in the wrong direction. But in general, people are not born with that capacity. It, 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 something happens to them. And so anyway, I, I, I have compassion for people who rape people. Yeah, I totally it's, agree because that's what happened when I was healed. I actually forgive my father as well because he was so broken. His marriage was broken. His wife was abusing him. So he wasn't in a mental state to actually love me. Uh oh, the, you froze up. Me and take care of me if he couldn't do that to himself as well. So, right. Can you hear me now? I can. Yeah. So, yeah, you were saying that you realized your dad wasn't in a position to do anything different really exactly. and, 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 and that, that's how I that's how I manage as a social worker is you know people would tell me their stories and 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 I would meet them where they were and let the and 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 in my mind instead of judging them like god you know why did you do that or why didn't you do that I would just be in the moment and it's like they did the best they could in that moment even if a nanosecond later we think of something different to do, that nanosecond is what gives us retrospect, hindsight. And we can't have hindsight in the moment. And so that's also helped with my own healing to, to understand that, you know, instead of beating myself up over things that, that I did, 
and knew better or whatever is that, you know, in the moment, that's the best I could do. Yeah, absolutely. No, honestly, what helped me a lot, just forgive, like I, I'm never going to forget, but now I'm working on myself because I'm not in charge of those people, even like my parents, I cannot think for them or for anyone else. So all this time, I just work in all myself, yeah. on my mindset, on my spiritual journey as well, and being healed because I want to break that cycle. I want to love my kids and take care of my kids. I do believe that I'm the best wife and mom because of what happened to me, because I know how much it hurts and I try my best. I'm not perfect either, you know, not mom, not wife, because now I understand how difficult it is <laughs> to raise the human being and live with the human being. And it's definitely um, the most gratifying that I realized that all I'm in control is myself and my feelings and how I gonna proceed and what what um, action I gonna take for wellness of myself and my family. And that that's what I do right now. I'm still work in progress, but I definitely not what I was before. And again, about the identity loss, like I do see my life right now that everything happened for a reason. And yes, I've been lost for a very long time. But one thing that it always was that glimpse of hope because I knew there is, has to be something better. This life, it's not all it is. And um, by the grace of God, now I just start experiencing that with the more um, clarity and understanding. But it took work very very long time so if if you guys listening to this and thinking like oh i'm still struggling with addiction or i still like in this abusive situation if you cannot speak for yourself write write someone a letter write someone uh, some kind of note there are people who are gonna help you who are gonna support you and you are not alone and it's not because of you like this sucks that it's happening but life is hard and it's hard for everyone we just don't know uh, and that's why I'm speaking out for that because life is very very hard and it can be like brutal just don't give up because one day maybe 20 years later you know that's what happened for me I hope and pray it's gonna be faster for you because nobody have to like grill in those feelings for so long but the most important part, there is hope. No matter when you what you went through, there is hope. And there's people who will support you and love you through this process. And also, for the people who are witnessing people in abusive relationships, this is what I learned working on the, in that battered woman shelter, is that people get tired of trying to help people get out of bad situations. And then they, they're like, you know, it's just like talking, going in one ear and out the other ear. No, it's not going in one ear, out the other ear. It's going in, it's doing its thing, and the person is on their own timeline. And don't ever give up because you don't know if that one conversation you have with them is going to be the day that they actually find their way out. Absolutely. That's a really good advice because um, we do have our default mode. And sometimes because we don't have a hope and we don't know what's the next step, default mode, it's actually mm -hmm. like, and with the drugs too, that's why people relapse many times before come out because it has to be a process and it has to be that personal process. Like, you know, sometimes like some drugs, I quit very easy. Some drugs, like, you know, it took me a long time rehab and my, my mentality and, and the way I do some habits as well. So it's, it's take like, and that's why have grace for yourself and for others, mm -hmm. make sure this is have to be happening exactly how it happening. So just be patient and don't give up. That's a good advice. Yeah. Now we can't, we can't hang up until you tell us how you got out of that brothel. Yeah, absolutely. Now, honestly, this is one of those by the grace of God situation, because 
Um, you never leave those kind of places alive unless you've been rescued. But almost two years later, they um, set me free and allowed me to go back home to Ukraine. The bodyguard had something to do with that. Now this was well, this was illegal activity, was it not? Yes. Okay. The whole brothel thing is not it's not illegal. They set you free. Wow. And they put you on a plane. Very. Oh, I bought my own ticket and I left by myself. But the interesting part about. I'm always like wondering how come like the police didn't stop me like at the airport? How come they didn't ask me like about the documents? They see like I have no visas or anything. I literally like, because they know, yeah. they know. They Everybody know knows, everybody knows. They didn't search me. They did like, well, they didn't do anything like specific, like, oh my gosh, this is like, where have you been all these two years? You know what I mean? So it was very interesting that they just sent me home. They're like, okay, especially you're going in such a controlled state, right? Exactly. Very interesting. So it really knows what's going on with people. Yes. Actually, oh, before we, we wrap up, I, I want to talk about my red lipstick. You guys don't see it, but all months we're going to wear red lipstick. And if you guys want to show your support in the fight against sex trafficking, and raise the awareness and funds because the organization that I partner up in 2017 called Fight for Freedom and we fight against the injustice. So we call Fab Feb. So it's like fabulous February. So you can raise the awareness and funds and you look fabulous. So if you wear bright red lipstick or um, red bow tie or red scarf and somebody would say, wow, nice scarf. You right away start the conversation about uh, human trafficking awareness. If you need more information, it's fight word fight number four freedom.ca. And you can um, partner up, you can volunteer your time, your resources, or donate funds, or just learn more. Honestly, just be informed to start that conversation and then learn about the red flags. And then if something happened, if you see the girl in the airport who doesn't have a passport, just ask questions, just be vigilant. Maybe one day you will save someone's life. And remember the 80,000 per state times 50. Absolutely. It's, it's a hardcore even like to imagine that this is happening. Yeah. Well, um, how can people find you? And, and what's your name of your book again? Yeah, absolutely. My book called Miraculous by Lina Sebula, and it's my journey from hell to heaven. And the proceeds go to Fight for Freedom, an organization that fights against human trafficking. And you can uh, buy it through amazon.com or amazon.ca, or you can send me an email at lina, L-E-N-A, Sibula, C-E-B-U-L-A, at gmail.com, and I will send you a signed copy, like nice. my autograph. And my website, it's word love, and be with no E, loved. So L-O-V-E-A and D-B-L-O-V-E-D.com, love and beloved, but with no E. Right. Or you just Google, honestly, like Google my name, Lina Sibula. I'm in all social media platforms. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Just, just send me a message if you want to share your story or hear my story. I'm open and willing, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And we'll have all that in the show notes. I am just so impressed with all you're doing and in in this you know nobody nobody's going to show up and take care of this problem unless people like you speak up because it is so ingrained and and, and it's just so part of the entire world yes but you and, know and, what and people, mm -hmm. yeah go ahead 
Well, and, 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 you know, people don't want to, to own up to it. Yeah. But you know what? I, I like to finish on the like very hopeful and positive note, because Good. since I started speaking up two years, two years ago, my book was published and I speaking and I research and I'm meeting an amazing people. So like, I have like goosebumps people, there are people who are fighting against injustice. So you yeah. can be part of those people. Yeah. There's organizations in your country as well. Just Google human trafficking hotline or Google uh, organization fights against human trafficking, like um, Operation Underground Railroad with Tim Ballard. Google and see what they do. Honestly, like they are fantastic. The Rafa House, they're in US as well they re rehabilitate the kids as well and here in Toronto and in Canada I'm part of so many like cool organizations who say enough is enough and we're gonna fight injustice and they they make difference in people's life and and the whole thing is is that the whole problem is so monumental it's like where do I start and what mm. difference is it even going to make that's the wrong way to look at it there is a way to start and all you need to do is change one person's life. Absolutely. And, and then your karma will take you on for however many new yeah. lives you have in the future. <laughs> no, but, you know but, what? but really and it's like one is one person at a time. And sometimes like you can do fundraising or volunteer or advocate or um, hold events to raise awareness. Sometimes you think like, you have to do something outrageous because the world is so disastrous but guess what do what you have what you can with what you have and that would take that burden away that have to be something drastic of course if you have million dollars and you've been called to donate that go ahead but if you have a part of, pair of socks and you can go to the homeless and give that pair of socks to the person that's gonna make a difference in that person's life and that's the important by code the products that we all can do we can buy code yeah. the products and companies that permit human trafficking we can help survivor you know we can stay informed and even like if pass pass down the information here's the numbers we heard you call you just call people there will answer that's it all of us can do this kind of thing and that's the way it's going to change is grassroots there's no there's no top-down solution to this absolutely there is none so thank you so much and we will stay in touch thank you julie yeah that was really good thank you so much. hey there the value that you got from this today take it into your heart add value to it in your own life by putting it into practice and growing it to be part of your life your daily habits the takeaways that you got from this words and thoughts only take us so far it's implementing on those words and thoughts that will change your life ideas are just ideas taking action on ideas is where growth happens and freedom emerges from growth freedom from our past invisible binding we're here to grow and release ourselves from our past constraints with awareness intention and through taking action on new choices we evolve in this process we exalt our pain and suffering into wisdom that empowers us we all have the ability to transform and become that person we yearn to be if today's episode added value to your life please share it with others and make sure to subscribe to bold becoming identity retooled and if you might take a minute right now and leave a review so that others can find out about this podcast if you'd like to contact me for one-on-one -on -one coaching or to get on the wait list for my tough stories workshop send me an email and we'll be in touch be sure to check out our free Facebook group of Bold Becomers. The link's in the show notes.